0: Hey again, Travel Bosses, I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, Tripstreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about Tripstreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss.
1: Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have
0: built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back
1: catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD.
0: Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 155. For the Travel Like Boss podcast, I'm here with Balka. Welcome, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, so if you guys don't recognize that Dutch voice, Balka was from episode 104 exactly a year and a month ago. It's lots of change, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, a lot of things I definitely wouldn't have expected and a lot of things that I might have expected back then that didn't happen. So I guess, yeah. Okay, very, I like very it different than uh, I would have thought my life would be a year and a month ago.
0: We and I think that applies for most people, at least the ones that we know kind of living this accelerated lifestyle. I think if you were back home in Holland, your life would probably be very similar a year later.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, same back in even back in California, you probably still going to the same bars, still going to the same restaurant. <laughs> you know, maybe like usually not much changes in a year. You probably have the same job, same friends, same everything. But in a year with this lifestyle, this location-dependent lifestyle or digital nomad lifestyle, chances are you've been to a few different countries. Chances are you've met hundreds, if not
1: thousands of new people. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. It's weird. Yeah, but it's that's most of what makes it so exciting for me to live this kind of life. So
0: where were we a year ago or 13 months ago?
1: Um, So I just spent like the first six months-ish in Chiang Mai, I think. Maybe even less, like five months. So I think at the time I was settled a little bit in Chiang Mai, but, um, I hadn't really been traveling that much yet. Chiang Mai was my first destination. And apart from a short trip to Laos, I hadn't traveled much elsewhere. Yeah. So I guess before
0: that, you were, you're just based in Holland. Yes. And you never really lived abroad or worked no, abroad. Okay. No.
1: So when I came to Chiang Mai in August 2015, That was my first flight outside of Europe, and it was the first, like, real long-term traveling on my own, so, yeah. Okay, very cool.
0: And if you guys are interested in pausing this and listening to episode 104, I'm sure it's going to be a big difference between the old Balka and the new, improved (laughs) Balka.
1: I don't know about improved, but just just one year older (laughs) Balka. Well, I like to think I'm improved because I, I value personal development and I like to like see all of life as like a lesson and take, take lessons from everything. So I'm pretty sure like if you were to like take note, I would be, I would be improved. Okay. Good.
0: Version, uh, Poker 2.0. So what, what has been, what has been new?
1: Um, so, uh, first of all, since then I've been traveling a lot more, even more than I thought I would because. Um, so I spent some time in Vietnam, I spent some time in the south of Thailand a couple of times, I spent some time in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and now we're on Bali, Indonesia. So I definitely visited a lot more places since then. Um, and the biggest news is that I now have a girlfriend since a couple months. It's, uh, over four months now. Shout out to Camille. Shout out to Camille. Um... Yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. Was that, was that planned? Like, were you like,
0: oh, it'd be nice to have a nomadic, uh, soulmate not
1: at all? I mean, it would be nice. Obviously, I had that thought, but, um, I was not actively looking for it or even like in a state where I was like really hoping for it or trying to pursue it in any way. Um, cause our meeting was the most random and, chance meeting you could possibly think of
0: yeah Well you, you want to share it
1: uh yeah sure i'll just share like a brief version of it so uh camille was in laos traveling with some buddies of hers and um got in a motorbike accident and cr- uh, broke her arm and so she had to rush to the capital of lao vientiane to go to a doctor and get her arm checked out and um me i was living in chiang mai at the time i needed to do a visa run and, um, I didn't have much time or uh, money to spare at the time to like do a, like a long trip like I normally would. So I decided to just do a one day visa run to Vientiane in Laos. And Vientiane is not exactly the most exciting place to visit. So I decided to just go to a cafe and do some work or read. It, and that's where Camille was. Cause that was the cafe that was part of the hotel she was staying in. And so, that's where we met each other. We started talking and, yeah, that's how we met.
0: Perfect. So, you walked in, saw this cute French girl with a broken arm and you're like, hey, bonjour.
1: (laughs) Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) And six months later, you guys are inseparable except that she's right now in France. Yes. Why is that? Ah,
1: this is such a annoying... So, um...
0: She got two annoying things
1: in a row. She got two really <laughs> annoying things in a row just now. She um, had a passport that was valid for five and a half months when we were planning to fly to Bali from Thailand. So five and a half more months. More months. Okay into the future so it expires sometime around August but apparently Indonesia requires you to have a passport with more than six months of validity before you're allowed to enter even though we're staying only for one month.
0: Which is ridiculous because it's like having a gift certificate that expires (laughs) December 31st, 2017 and you show up in... Like July, <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, no! It's too close to the expiration date."
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't use it. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. So yeah, so um, we tried to look into getting her a new passport in Thailand. So you guys were already at the airport. We were at the airport. We were waiting to board our flight. It was literally thirty minutes before departure time. So you checked in already.
0: You we checked game. in.
1: We went through immigration. So the airport staff had to escort us back out, get us through immigration again, get our exit stamp canceled so we were allowed to go back into Thailand, where we only had five days left on our entry into Thailand in the first place. Yeah, so it was all uh, a bit messy.
0: You're lucky that you even had five days.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's so true, because oftentimes I would do a visa run like one or two days before the expiry date of my entry into Thailand. Um It was just that we wanted to spend a whole month in Bali, which is why we started going there at the start of March. But, yeah.
0: So I guess lesson learned for that is always have... start uh, So renew your passport a year before it actually expires. Because it's not just Indonesia. A lot of countries have this random rule for whatever reason. Yeah. And second is just to double-check the rules of your passport before you book a flight, before you you travel. Because I think part of this lifestyle we get so used to just moving countries
1: and it's really funny because so she's said um so she's been traveling as a digital nomad for about four years so much longer than me and she said that um she's kind of gotten a little bit complacent with it and normally she wouldn't really make a mistake like this like four years ago she would double check everything Like be really well prepared, and now she's just like so used to the lifestyle, like you said, that she didn't even think of this rule, or rather, like she did think of it, but she thought of it based on previous travel plans, which was going to Japan, which doesn't have this rule, and then she didn't check again when we went to Indonesia. She completely forgot about having to check again. Yeah.
0: Well, about a year ago, when Larissa and I were supposed to go to Taiwan, we traveled from I think we were in Koh at the time, went to Bangkok. Uh, I think we, I think we checked in as well. I think we went through the whole process and like, as we were going to the gate, they check it, you know, they check everything again. And they're like, they're like, wait a minute. Um, she, does she have a visa to Taiwan? And I said, no, no, we we're only going for like, you know, a couple of weeks and we get 30 days for free. And they're like, no, sir, you get 30 days for free because you're American. But South Africans need to apply for a visa, right? And we're like, "Oh my god!" And we were yeah. with my parents too. Uh, it was yeah, it was it was crazy. It was like my whole family was there my my mom, dad, sister, her husband, my niece, my nephew, and they all passed through the gate, and we are just behind the queue saying, "Dad, I will figure it out. <laughs> Don't worry. Just go to Taiwan first. Yeah, and they were freaking out, and it's completely our fault for just not even looking. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So that is, a, I guess, a travel tip. Uh, so out of all those places that you've been in the last year, which ones are your favorites?
1: Um, So Chiang Mai so far is still my favorite place to live in, as in longer than, like, one month or longer than that. Uh, just staying in one place, renting an apartment there. Um, it's by far the easiest, most convenient uh, place to do that, in my opinion. Uh, but to travel... The most exciting thing I did was a motorbike trip through Vietnam for two months in March and April last year.
0: spent two months on a motorbike?
1: I pretty much spent two months on a motorbike. It that's was like insane. six to seven weeks approximately. That's yeah. so insane. So
0: where did you start? Where did you end up? So
1: uh, most people, when they do the motorbike trip in Vietnam, they would do like Ho Chi Minh to Hanoi or the other way around in two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I started out with because I, I was planning on living in Vietnam for a bit. But then I had never been to the country, wanted to travel, so I decided to do the motorbike trip before settling somewhere. Um, so I started in Ho Chi Minh City, drove up to Hanoi in about three weeks, I think. Uh, met a lot of cool people along the way. One of them um, said that he had two more weeks in Vietnam and decided to do the far north, which is near the Chinese border, so that's past Hanoi to the north.
0: Wow. And, and-, and wait, so what kind of bikes were you guys on?
1: super shitty old motorbike. So this is nowhere near the quality of the scooters I normally drive in Thailand or even here on Bali. Um this was like a 2005 Honda Wave semi-automatic Chinese knockoff version. Okay, so, so it one, wasn't could, even an original Honda. Most people are on the Honda Winds, the ones that kind of yes. look cool. They're they're basically the same um with a different frame. Okay. Like the the parts are all the same. And I've heard that all the
0: Honda bikes are not actually made by Honda in yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. It's which true. is insane.
1: It's true. I mean, now nowadays they have more like the locals drive more like official Hondas, but those that are like 10 to 20 years old, they're all knockoff versions. That's a, yeah. uh,
0: so funny. Like, you would never see a knockoff Honda Accord back home. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. And if you did, it'd be a Hyundai Elantra, which is actually a great car. Which yeah. <laughs> I think I would actually prefer that car, to be honest. But <laughs> you wouldn't have a, something that looks like a, a Honda motorcycle that has Some
1: interchangeable th- parts with the original.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which is, just, and just like generic knockoff. Cause I remember someone saying that, saying that like the Honda wins are so unreliable. And I was like, nah, that can't be it. Like all Hondas are bulletproof. And then when they said, no, no, Vietnam, they just, they make, they have their own factories that just put the stamp on. Yeah. All right. So how much was the bike? 220
1: US <sighs> dollars. Could you have bought a better bike? Like for like $320? It's or? actually hard. Okay. Cause so I think the only other option is to go for like $700 and buy like a proper genuine Honda or Yamaha, something like that motorbike. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty hard because the market there does not really cater towards foreigners for that. So you would have to have a Vietnamese person help you out with the purchase... And the sale at the end of it, which is a big hassle.
0: Yeah, because so- I would imagine that the two hundred twenty dollar buy, you could sell it very quickly for two hundred twenty dollars. Yes,
1: exactly. So okay. I, I think I sold it for like ten bucks less than I bought it for. Um, <laughs> you drove it for seven weeks. I drove it for seven weeks. I drove it for over five thousand kilometers through yeah. Vietnam. So it's like one penny too <laughs> yeah, many Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I, bu- I sold it in the same city I bought it in, like Ho Chi Minh. I posted it on Facebook, and I sold it within a few days. I,
0: yeah. I actually, so I went, I was in Vietnam a year ago uh, for Anton's wedding and I stayed just like a couple of days in in Saigon just to hang out. And I remember going, hanging out at this hostel and, have, and seeing like three Honda motorbikes for sale yeah. just in front of it. People had just got done with this loop. They, they had drove down from Hanoi and I thought, fuck, I, I should have stayed longer. Yeah. And I really thought about just extending my trip and just staying long, and I, and I regret not doing so now cuz right. this sounds like it would have been fun.
1: It is. It's super fun. Like you meet so many cool people along the way. It's like it's it feels more like a challenging way of traveling too because like in most of the places you end up in, there's no like Western conveniences. It's completely local Vietnamese cities. You have to figure out where to stay. Like the hotels don't even have like a listing on a Goda or booking.com. You have to like go th- to them and book the room there. Uh, you have to figure out how to get food. Like, and every, almost every other day, how to get your motorbike fixed because something would be wrong with it. Wow. What, what is broken on the bike? Um, so things that were permanently broken or like semi-permanently in the sense that I would get it fixed and it would break again the next day it was like the electric starter, so I had to kick start it all the time. Um the big light, so I could only use the normal light, and um other than that I had issues with like the the engine wouldn't start like at all, even with the kickstart one time. I had issues with the gears, like being stuck in a gear or something like that. Yeah. So stuff like that happened all the time. Yeah.
0: Did you ever get stranded in the middle of nowhere?
1: Um, sort of. Yeah. So on Katba Island, I, we had the most hilarious day. We were five guys traveling each on our own motorbike. They all went Honda Winds so I had on the wave. And in a single day, every single one of the five motorbikes had an issue and broke down at some point and so the last one we were on Kadba island we made the just in time for the ferry to get there we were like all right so we can make it to the hostel before dark now and then one of the guys got a puncture so that that was out of the question we had to get his bi- his uh tire replaced then by the time we were like halfway through the island another one of the guys his bike broke down uh We didn't really know what was wrong with it. We couldn't really get it fixed there. So we left it there. He just jumped on the back of one of ours. And the next day, uh, me and him went on my bike to get to go and pick up his bike. And then mine broke down. So the two of us were there with two broken bikes stuck in the middle of an island in the middle of nowhere. And then we tried to get it fixed. But the guy was totally trying to rip us off because he knew we were stuck there. So we just called the other guys that were still in Katma town and they came by with their bikes and some ropes and we dragged, we literally like dragged the bikes by rope back to town, (laughs) which was like probably one of the most dangerous things I've ever done in my life. Because were
0: you sitting on the bike while they're driving it?
1: Yes, because you have to.
0: To balance it. Yeah, yeah,
1: because you have to balance it and use the brake because there were like mountains up and down, up and down.
0: Yeah. So while you're telling the story, I'm imagining it in my head. And I'm imagining it either to be this amazing adventure that I want to do. Cause it sounds, you know, it sounds fun, right? It sounds adventurous. Yeah. Or it sounds just like the biggest pain in the ass. <laughs> and I'm like, never want to put myself in that situation
1: ever. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those cases where you would never want to like purposely put yourself in the situation, but once you're in it and you've dealt with it or you're learning to deal with it, it's actually kind of fun and an interesting experience, and it's a cool story to tell afterwards. So yeah, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to get stuck stuck in the middle of nowhere, but yeah, now that it happened, I think I I learned more from it, and it's more of a fun, interesting story than anything else.
0: And I think a big part of it is also just our outlook or the way that we we handle the situation. You know, you can either be lighthearted and just laugh about it and just say like ah, it'll we'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. Or we can stress about it and have it ruin our our day or our life. Yeah. Uh I remember last week in I was in Ubud and a friend of mine uh said, "Oh, let's let's have brunch." And she sent me the name of this restaurant. It's called like Sari Organic or something. Uh-huh. And I I uh, didn't have a car, so I called a Gojek motorcycle taxi, which is exactly what it sounds like. Some guy shows up, some Indonesian guy shows up on a scooter, and he's your taxi driver. And I give him the name of the place, and turns out, so this is like a farm to table organic restaurant. Right. Turns out, he took me, he thought I wanted to go to the farm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're driving through, on this, back of this guy's s- scooter, through like the craziest roads, and it gets so narrow that no cars can go on, but we're on a scooter. So we're just, we're just like, oh, yeah, we'll cut through. And and to be fair, there's two ways to go on Google Maps. One seemed like you had to go around the whole city, yeah. which would have taken an extra, like, 20 minutes. Or we can just, you know, do the shortcut. And I was like, oh, you know, it's probably fine we're on a scooter. And then the road <laughs> gets so narrow and, that you're cutting through, this like, a stream. So, like, on the side of you is, like, water. <laughs> And it's only big enough just for the bike. So, like, you can't even have two people walk in in a straight row. (laughs) And I was freaking out, thinking, like, oh, my God, if we just tip over, I'm just going to be in this fucking, like, in like, in a, like, like like a small river. Yeah. And we get to the end, and it's a fucking dead end. And I was, like, I'm not going back on this. I started walking, and the guy keeps yelling at me. He's, like, no, get on the bike. You know, it's faster. And I'm, like, no, I'm not getting back on this bike. And I have a photo, I made a video, so it, it's on my YouTube channel, um, of just, <laughs> and unfortunately I didn't video that, that, the part where we're in the water, cause I think I was just so scared that I just like didn't want to get my phone, but I have like a video of me just like in the rice, pe- uh, paddy field where I was lost after he dropped me off and I figured out I was in the wrong place, he left already, yeah. and I was stuck there. So I, and then nobody else would pick me up. Right. Because nobody was crazy enough. <laughs> yeah. So then I was stuck in the middle of this fucking rice field in Ubud. And I was like, okay, now, like, what do I do? I guess I just have to hike back out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somebody had commented that, like, in the video, I, I think I Instagram-lived it too. And, or it put on my Instagram story. And people were saying, like, oh, you know, it's good that you're so lighthearted. You're having fun and smiling yeah. about it. And I had realized, I was like, you know what? I don't think I would have, you know, even a few months ago, or especially not my, my past life when mm-hmm. I was, it had like, more stress you know or like yeah. more worries but now i think like life is so easy and like life is so good like why like why you know why should we just
1: stress about it yeah no i totally agree and i think that um i definitely got that attitude in vietnam as well like or at least strengthened it even more there because yeah you just handle these situations and like deal with it and it's no big deal in the end so yeah. Yeah.
0: I like it. And yeah. I think part of the, the stress that people have is it's always time or money. Right. Yeah. So one is, oh man, I wasted a day in my vacation and I, and I only have 13 days to travel. Yeah. Versus the us, we're like, oh, you know, we have as much time as we want. So it doesn't matter if we waste a day. You know, it doesn't matter if the bike trip turns out to be seven weeks versus six weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's exactly why I did that trip as well. Um, for so long, cause I just, I initially did just th- had the plan to do Ho Chi Minh to Hanoi and I just kept extending it because I was like, this is fun. This is nice. This is cool. This is probably an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life. So I'm just gonna get like the absolute most out of it. And that's what I did. So yeah,
0: I like it. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, that's also a really good tip for everyone is try to have your travels be open-ended you know really try to not have a set return date or if you can don't even have a return flight because you never know what experiences you're going to have and even though it might cost you more to get a one-way ticket or not book everything like a month in advance
1: yeah until you uh run into this passport expiry issue because then so that's one of the lessons i took away from that actually is like Try to not plan as much ahead anymore because the cost of our, all, all our like changed flights now is far more than if we had just booked like single one way flights and then like from Thailand to Bali and then not anything from Bali to anywhere else and then buy the next ticket while we're on Bali and we actually know that we're going to be able to make it. Cause now we had, so now in the end we kind of solved it and recovered most of our flights because she went back to France and like on a return trip but again like she had to pay for a ticket like a return ticket to France which isn't cheap obviously and like a a few of the other options we had to solve the situation involved canceling our flight from Bali to Kuala Lumpur and even the one from Kuala Lumpur to Amsterdam we have afterwards so yeah so for me I feel like we should not have booked that much even though like to us it was still um, only a, a few weeks in advance, but even then, I think that it would have been better to not book that much ahead. Yeah. yeah, and I think the other
0: part of it is the opportunity cost of saying like, "Oh, I really like it here." Yeah, you know, I don't want to have to continue. You know, I don't. Wanna, you know, maybe let's just skip Kuala Lumpur. Or let's skip whatever, and or you know, in Vietnam, you know, just saying, "Oh, you know, let's extend our trip." And yeah. it's always more expensive to be like, "Oh, well, I can always go back to Bali, or I can yeah. always go back to Vietnam." Because first off, you might not—you never know. Life might get busy. You might end up in Amsterdam and getting another job again, and yeah, you know, and staying there. Uh, Unlikely, or, but <laughs> yeah. Or you would have to fly all the way back, and that costs money.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: So the last time we spoke, you had—I think you had pretty much just gotten to affiliate marketing.
1: Um uh, no, that's not true. No, I've—I've I've been doing different variations of affiliate marketing for, um, I think like a, at least a year before then, maybe even more. Um. I think that I what I'm doing right now though I just started it back then which which is um using Facebook ads to build an email list and then sell affiliate products to the email list that's basically my business model right now and I think I had just started doing that for like two or three months when we last talked yeah
0: okay and was it profitable the last time I don't remember yes okay and
1: how's it now so during the course of 2016 I had like, I did so much traveling that I kind of didn't do as much work as I maybe could or should have. So towards the end of 2016, because after Vietnam, I did a big trip with my brother who came to Thailand. And so during the end of 2016, I like started working again, a lot more. And that's when I realized like there was so much more potential in what I was doing at the time. And I kind of left it to die and now it's a lot more work to build it back up so um, but now the last two months uh, so I'm talking 2017 January February have really paid off again all the work I've been putting in building it back up so it's doing really well again now okay yeah. cool
0: and I'm assuming that throughout this whole time you're making enough money to be able to support traveling and enjoy.
1: yeah life? I think the, so the start of 2016 I made a lot of money which allowed me to live partly off of savings of that while I was traveling, like Vietnam, I like on, on a motorbike trip in Vietnam. Don't expect to get any work done, even if you plan on doing it, because that's just impossible. So those two months, I definitely had to live off of a combination of savings and a little bit of automated income. Um, but then, yeah, the, the rest of 2016, I was able to make enough money through the email list I had built before to just sustain the rest of the year, yeah.
0: Oh, cool, I like that. Yeah. So can you give us an example of like what that actually entails? Because I think a lot of people are thinking like, okay, it kind of makes sense, but I have no idea what you, what you mean.
1: So yeah, affiliate marketing, um, I don't think I'm going to go into explaining that because there's a lot of ways to find out what that is. But I go to affiliate uh, platforms. I find offers there. That I want to promote, that I feel like I could promote, that I, like, I know enough about Facebook to know what they allow or not allow there. So, um, I kind of build an, a, a free offer based off of what that affiliate offer is. So either I, I create like a free report or like a video course or series or something like that. And then I, um, I give that away in exchange for an email address from the person that wants to have it. So, so, I mean so
0: for yeah. exa- like so to kind of give people an example have you ever seen those Facebook ads that say, "Are you into yoga mm-hmm. um entry email address to download the latest report on um you know yoga for health or like you know ninety six yoga techniques to better your you know your balance or something
1: yeah okay. yeah exa- exactly that. So then people would uh, enter their email address to receive that report. Then the first, first email they get from me is that report okay. and usually an offer for something that is a paid product. So okay. they get a free product immediately as soon as they enter their email address. And then on the next page and in the first email, there's an offer for, hey, if you like this, like go and check this out. This is um, a paid product. So and- they, they go to the sales video that's an affiliate offer. So that's not my own offer. That is an affiliate offer.
0: And these, uh, these products, are they physical products or are they digital products?
1: Um, I'm mostly digital, although some of them involve like they can buy like the, the, the printed book version or the printed CD or DVD version sometimes. Okay. Yeah. So an example in
0: the, in the situation might be somebody sees the 96 yoga, uh, postures, they download it and they say, wait, you know, we also, if you like yoga, uh, here's the the video series that you can check out. Uh here's a video somebody somebody you know who, who isn't you somebody has created this product already. Yeah. Uh you are just an affiliate for it which means you are referring them to this other site. Yeah. They watch the video it's explaining um you know the yoga techniques or whatever it is and says here's an offer to buy um access to these 20 yoga videos that, you know, walk you through step by step or something. Yeah. And if they buy that, then you get a commission.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yes. And because it's mostly digital products, the commissions are pretty high, like 50 to 75% usually. Okay, okay cool. And what, what do you think the hardest part of this, this whole process is? Um, so there's a, there's a few things I think. So the first, first is, um, on Facebook itself, the targeting and like figuring out your audience and then making it profitable in the beginning. I think that takes a lot of, um, trial and error. Then. Um, for people, for for me, that's not really a hard part at all. But for some people, it might be like the whole setup of the funnel. Because if you're not technically inclined, it could be a bit challenging to set all that up.
0: And by funnel, you mean like you know, one-page um, website where there's an opt-in for an email, and yeah. then having that automatically send the PDF, yeah, and then send them to the other link.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then the whole yeah, exactly the whole um, email autoresponder software which is this software that actually sends out the email to people setting all that up and then the next part is the actual um, copywriting of it so you want this the first page they see to actually entice them to enter their email address and not like click off and go back to Facebook. You want the next page to get them to click, to watch the sales video of the product. You want the first email to not only give them the PDF, but also get them to want to watch the video again, if, or if they haven't already for the first time. And then after that email, after email, every single day, I send an email to the list and this email is, um, Well, most of the time I like give something away and then also entice them to check out some paid products that is related. So yeah, so every single day you have to create content that sells. So Mm -hmm. copywriting, I think that's the hardest part, definitely. And, but are you actually
0: writing these emails every day or are you writing them once and putting into a, like a autoresponder series?
1: So I have an autoresponder series that people get when they first sign up for the first I think I have it set on 10 days now. So the first 10 days, they get automated emails that are the same for everyone. And then also I send a new broadcast, which goes to the entire list, except for the ones that haven't gone through the follow-up series yet. And that I send every single day. Yeah.
0: What email software do you use?
1: Aweber. And do you like them? Yes, but it's mostly out of habit because I've been using them for two and a half years. I use Aweber as well, and
0: I know they're good. I know they're one of the originals, you know. Deliverability
1: is really good, which is why I continue using them.
0: So, one thing about deliverability and what that means is does it actually show up in the inbox, or does it show up in like promotions box or spam folder or something? And obviously you want it to show up in people's inbox. One thing that I noticed that helps a lot getting my my emails into the inbox is if I just write it like a plain text email and just have like one link somewhere versus have like images displayed in line and making it look fancy
1: yeah definitely i always send plain text emails yeah that is one thing i've been doing like forever pretty much because it's it's like an email from a friend instead of like a promotion from a company
0: yeah okay that definitely makes sense um yeah so i like and dislike whoever i think it's like a i like that it works (laughs) <laughs> yeah and but i dislike that it's it, it looks like it hasn't changed in like yeah. 10 years
1: yeah that's exactly right awesome. um they're very far behind the times when it comes to their competitors like i don't know i've heard about convert kit lately that's like super like i have all this fancy automation stuff and it sounds super exciting to try it but i i haven't really yet because it's Quite a pain in the ass to move away from an email autoresponder when you have twenty thousand leads in it. So wow, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I was, I've been spending a lot on my Aweber, and I realized when people
1: unsubscribe to an email, they are still charging
0: you. Aweber is still charging you. Yes, for Yes. You got to remove
1: the unsub. Yeah, that's one of another one of those ridiculous ancient things that should not be the case. Yeah. So I go through every week and remove all the unsubscribes manually. Wow. It's the only way. Yeah.
0: And I've also realized that. There's no way that I saw to export your entire list into CSV. You can only export a page at a time, which can display up to like a hundred email addresses.
1: I think there is a way to do that. Okay. I yeah, hope so. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure there is a way to do Cause that. Cause that would be yeah. so
0: annoying if you want to yeah. switch to someone else. Yeah. But, okay. I mean, it's good, good, good to know that we're both using the same platform that it works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you recommend people get into this type of free marketing?
1: It depends. It kind of depends on, um, Where you're at right now and what you do and what you want to do. Um, so if you're, if you're looking for a business that is like, could be like semi automated, you don't have to put that much work into it every single day. Um, that's, then it's kind of a good business model, I think, because there's like a lot of ways to do it, to set it up. Like, for example, the, the sending a new email every single day is not necessarily needed. Um, there is ways to do this in a way that like it takes very little work every day to to manage the business. On the other hand, um there's risk involved because it relies almost exclusively on paid traffic. So I would not recommend anyone who's broke or on the verge of broke to get into it. So only if if you have money to invest, uh, I would say get into it. Um and and when when
0: you say Money, like, were you talking about a couple thousand or 10 grand or? What? This
1: is so hard to say because it depends on what product you're going to sell, who you're going to sell it to. Um, so what product, I mean, uh, so what niche, for example, and how big is that niche? Um, how expensive like how competitive is that niche on facebook advertising so how many other people are competing for the same traffic and then there is the location so if you send to the if you sell to the united states your traffic's going to be more expensive but it's also going to convert better so yeah there there's too many variables to really say however i th- i think that um If you just start out with a small test of like uh, a digital product to the United States audience, I think you could start off with a budget of like $20 a day for a couple weeks. And you're going to have to be um, able to take that as a loss if it doesn't work out.
0: Okay. So have a couple hundred bucks at least, maybe yeah. $500 or more to play with. Just a test, not, not knowing if it's actually going to or not. You'll probably need, you know, 30 bucks a month for something like Aweber, uh, to start out with. Yeah. Um, WordPress hosting. Yeah. Uh, maybe a landing page builder. So all in all, I don't see anyone getting started for less than a thousand dollars. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. And time wise, how many months kind of did it take for you to become profitable after learning this?
1: So it's, it's a bit tricky for me to give a proper answer to that. If you are like completely new starting out, because I wasn't, I did affiliate marketing. I did email marketing. I did Facebook advertising in different ways, but all of that already learned like taught me the lessons I had to learn to be able to do this. So from the start, I was close to profitability and very easily got into profitability. Um, with the campaign that I started running back in the start of 2016 when we talked. Um, but if someone's starting out from scratch, I would say it takes one to two months at least to learn the whole, like the whole process, all the skills you need, like the technical setup, um, data analysis, all of that stuff. Like it takes a lot of time.
0: And it sounds like one or two months is actually a very short amount of time to learn all that. I would actually estimate a little bit longer if you, if you don't have any technical skills, because it might take someone a month just to learn how to make a fucking WordPress site. Right. You know, it'd take another month to learn the basics of Facebook ads. Maybe another month to learn kind of the basics of the, the cost per action affiliate model. So, I it, personally, I would recommend do not get into this unless you have either prior experience with some of these things. uh, Or if you have three or more months and more than, you know, a $1,000 that you can kind of just spend to test things and, and, and learn. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Uh We've had on a bunch of other kind of CPA affiliate marketers on the show. Uh, episode 81 was with Derek, who used to be a... Went from a firefighter to affiliate marketer. Uh, we had on, I think, episode 80 was called Stack That Money Success with Nick and Robbie. And then we had episode 140, which is the affiliate world recap, which was... I was talking about kind of some of the people I met at the conference, which you were at as well.
1: Yes. Um I wasn't actually partaking in the conference this year. I went there last year, so in 2015. This year, I just visited Bangkok to meet up with some people who were at the conference because I already knew some people and I just met up with them. And it was like – it was the first getaway with my girlfriend as well. So we just had like a nice stay in Bangkok in a nice place together and like – it was like a little like getaway with with her too, so that was nice. Okay. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Uh, yeah, it's cool to see you there. Um, so this is the not not the type of affiliate marketing I do, uh, but it's kind of ironic that the names are exactly the same. Yeah. So it's very confusing, and I, I think that's why a lot of people get confused. Like. And I would on... even argue that it's different from what Nick and Robbie and Derek do.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there's so many different ways. If, like affiliate marketing is. I can't even, like. I think the, that term is basically exactly the same as saying like sales. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Which literally yeah, yeah, could yeah. mean you're selling mattresses at a store versus you're selling property at a, for real estate, or if you're on the phone selling, or you're you know I don't know like selling candy. You know, like wholesale. Yeah, it could be mean anything. So don't get hung up on that term too much. Uh I would kind of describe. The way, what Balka does is more like CPA marketing, like cost per action. What, what do you think?
1: What, what do you think the so, term would that be? So I, I, I kind of disagree there because that's what I just said. Like it's different from what Nick, Robbie, and so Derek do. Robbie do. So, so what they CPA, do okay. is CPA marketing, definitely. So they go to a traffic source, they buy traffic, send it either directly to the affiliate offer or they just have a very easy, quick landing page that only entices people to click through to the affiliate offer. That makes sense. Whereas what I do, I would say I do mostly email, email marketing. marketing. Okay, that makes sense. So you're yes. building a list
0: to, to the ads, but everything that you're selling is through that email list. Yes. Okay, very cool. Uh, if you want another example of someone who makes quite a bit of money doing affiliate marketing through email or email marketing, listen, episode 94. Uh, this was with Jen and Nick who... I think they were making like twenty five grand a month or something through their health health email uh, list, and I don't think they built it through Facebook ads. But mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't really matter how you build the list; you just need to have an email it's list. True. Yes. I need to be better at building my email list. I suck at it. I <laughs> I realize that you can't even sign up for my for my email list on on a brow on a phone. So if you go to johnnyfd.com on your phone, there is no way to sign up for the email list.
1: You uh, you need to change the platform that johnnyfd.com runs I, on. I, I need to get off a blogger because... freeblogspot.com. Because I mean it's it works fine on a computer, but on a phone, even just reading your blog on a phone, it sucks, does it okay. because so every time you you scroll either left or right, it goes to the next or previous blog post. oh my so God so very often while you're reading you're like accidentally flicking yeah. left or right, and then it loads a page, you have to go back, then you have to scroll back to oh. where you were inside the post. It's just yeah <laughs> man, I
0: know I know I need to do this. I just oh. You know what, I'm not going to do it, but my plan for 2017 is to hire someone to take care of the technical aspects. Yeah. So, the like all the email opt-ins, all the hosting stuff, the things that I don't want to do. I just want to be able to, to create content and do things I want to do. Yeah. Because that's what I enjoy. Yeah. So, it is cool that we are both making enough money through affiliate commissions or other online kind of semi passive um, businesses to be able to keep traveling this. Yeah. And I and I and I really think that I don't know, do you think this is for everyone this this life?
1: Uh no, definitely not. <laughs> Why? No, I, I think some people they um so there's Like, I think there's different kinds of people that wouldn't agree with this lifestyle. First of all, there's, like, the people that want to be, like, super successful, that want to, like, build, like, million, billion dollar companies. And they're, like, what are you guys doing? You're just bumming around, doing nothing. Like, you should be working way more and, like, just, like, grinding, like, 100 hours a week to, like, be really successful. And then, on the other hand, there's people that want to just, like, have a job have like the security of a job like own a house somewhere raise a family and they don't want to like have to deal with affiliate commissions and like the risk involved in that and uh, they don't want to travel around all the time it's inconvenient for them so yeah there's there's different kinds of people and i'm, I'm pretty sure that apart from those two there's a whole lot of other categories yeah, of that people that it also wouldn't be for
0: and by risk you mean kind of just like the un. Uncertainty. Yeah, one month you might be make ten thousand dollars or more, and another month might be
1: nothing. Nothing. Yeah.
0: Okay. But you know, I guess that's the the gamble people like. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're in Bali, what what do you what do you think of?
1: How long have you been here now? Um,
0: I've been in Bali since March tenth. Okay, so about three weeks. I I I was here since February twenty eighth. So I've been here for exactly a month. Yeah. Uh, and. Luckily, I had the foresight to first book a one-way ticket, and then second, instead of getting the free 30-day visa on arrival, I opted to pay for the visa at the airport, so then I would have the option to be able to extend it for another 30 days. And good thing is because we are very happy here, and both Chris and I are going to stay for at least another month. So nice. So we cool. just went through the extension process, yeah. which is a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah? Have uh, you done it yet?
1: No, because I'm not going to. I'm leaving leaving. before the end of the month. Yeah. So
0: first off, you would think that when you pay for the longer visa at the airport, they would just give you the stamp and say, okay, you can be here for 60 days. Yeah. But no, they give you a 30 day stamp at the airport with a option to be able to extend it again for 30 days, uh, which you can do between like between two and four weeks of being here. So. Basically, you arrive, you, go on vac- you stay on vacation for two weeks, and then you have to go back to the freaking immigration office, spend the whole day really? to get wow. a stamp to be able to use up the whole 60 days. And it actually takes three trips to the immigration office. One to drop it off, another one to come back and do a fingerprint, and then third to pick it up. Crazy. But luckily, yeah. they have visa agents, so we'll do it for you. Ah, yeah. So I think we paid like 50 bucks mm. to have someone... Uh, pick it up and drop it off, but we still have to go once to go to get the fingerprints. So it's still a waste of four hours of our day. But is it at the airport? Uh, it's not the airport. It's but it's past it. It's almost near Kuda.
1: Oh, it's just south Kuda. Yeah,
0: and it's an immigration <sighs> so diverse, office. Yeah. The other good thing about using a an agent is they will go and stand in line for you. Yeah, and so by the time you get there. You know, you're, you're you're first up. You're first up, so yeah. which is good. Uh So I would definitely recommend using an agent if you if you want to extend. Yeah. But yeah. what are your thoughts on Bali so far?
1: Um. So as a place to live, I I haven't been here long enough, or at least in the same place long enough to really properly compare it to Chiang Mai. Um. Because my brother was here. When I came here, he was here, and we've been traveling around together. I hadn't seen him in half a, him in half a year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've been mostly just, like, exploring the island together. We went from Canggu to Ubud to Ahmed to Gili Travangan and back, then climbed Mount Batur, and then we went back to Canggu. So now I've been in Canggu for, like, four days. Okay.
0: So you've seen a lot of Bali, but mostly as a tourist, just driving yes, around, yeah. doing cool stuff. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um now my brother left yesterday so I'm going to be in Changu again like at least a week because uh, my girlfriend is coming on Monday um so at it, by then I'll be I'll have been here at least a week so I think Changu is the only place I can really compare for a place to live um what I really like about it is um I think the food is really amazing. The, f- the food that is not local food, like the, the sort of half Western or fusion food here is of higher quality and lower price than it is in Thailand. Like in Thailand, if you go to like a rustic and blue in Chiang Mai, for example, you pay at least 400 baht for a proper breakfast there. Whereas here you can get it for half that, like similar quality, um, breakfast is half that price here
0: so to put that in dollars for everyone in the in in chiang mai the the thai food is amazing and it's cheap yes in indonesia the indonesian food is okay it's, it's it tastes good um it's not as ma- it's not amazing like thai food yeah. and i like it a lot just because it's different so i'm like yeah it's you know i haven't i haven't gotten sick of it yet Yeah, yeah
1: so i have another another um Thing that is that, um, in Holland, Indonesia used to be a Dutch colony. We oh, yes. have a lot of Indonesian immigrants. We have tons of Indonesian food. It's like, like Indian food for Brits. Mm-hmm. It's Indonesian food for, for Dutch people. So I am used to Indonesian food. I ate a lot of it in my youth and the quality of it in Holland is much better than it is here. So for me, it's like, it's cheap, but other than that, it's not amazing. So yeah,
0: <laughs> that definitely that definitely makes sense. There's definitely not as yeah. many like spices or um as as in like with Thai food. But what Balca was saying about the Western food, for whatever reason, Changgu at least is populated by mostly Australians and and Swedes, and they really like to have high quality like nice food. You know, yeah. like lots of organic food, lots of you know health foods. Yeah, and if you want to, you know, get, like, a nice breakfast, like a smoothie bowl or, like, um quinoa pa- pancakes or, you know, something like that, you can get it here for, like, five bucks. Yeah. Versus in Chiang Mai, it's not very – it's not, you know, that popular with Thai people to eat. So, yeah. it's really just catered to the Westerners. And there's not, like, a huge influx of of Australians or anything, like, open, you know, living there. So, in general, you're spending eight bucks, ten bucks, maybe a little bit more on yeah. – like, you know, really high quality farm to table organic type of
1: food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the one thing that I like most, I think, about Mai compared to Chiang Mai. Um, other than that. So I'm not here long enough to know anything about long term accommodation, but from what I've kind of seen or heard, it's much easier in Chiang Mai. So it's like much easier. Get an, get an apartment for a month that is fairly cheap and like comfortable and easy to live in. So
0: here, basically what you would do is you drive around and look for like a get, like basically a hotel, like a guest house or a hotel, and you just try to negotiate a monthly rate. Uh, in general, I just, I just wrote a blog post about both Chengdu and Ubud with the cost of living and everything. So just go on johnnyft.com and look for those travel guides. But basically Ubud is very similar to Chiang Mai. It's a little bit more expensive. It's probably 25% more expensive. So the cheapest Excuse studio me. you can find in in Chiang Mai would be, you know, let's say 5,000 baht a month, which is... Like
1: 150 bucks. 150 yeah. bucks. Yeah.
0: Here, probably 250 bucks. You know, maybe a little tiny bit less in you know, 220 or something. But it's going to be, 2 let's say, 220 and up for just a very basic, you know... Local place. Uh, if you want to stay in like a nice condo with a pool, um, maybe even like one bedroom, you know, you have a kitchen and things like that. Uh, in Chiang Mai, start up, They start around fifteen thousand to twenty thousand, so like five hundred bucks or so a month, six hundred bucks maybe. Uh, here, it's you can you can find you, it's it, that doesn't really exist here. You either stay in a ho- nice hotel in like uh, like the place we're in now, which yeah you can get for maybe around a thousand dollars a month, uh or you can get a villa which is usually two bedrooms more and you have to share with somebody and then you can each pay maybe seven hundred bucks and have a really nice place and have your own house but yeah. then you have to have a roommate.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, so that um I would say that Chiang Mai wins on convenience and like availability, like choice, like different choices. Cause, I mean, renting a villa is possible in Chiang Mai as well. I know people that have done that. So I think there's a lot more options there and there's like way more. more. So I, I think that, yeah, um, I think that's just comes with the fact that Chiang Mai is a big city and this is just like tiny, tiny places. Yeah. Well, I think. And it's also far more developed. Yeah. Yeah. Chiang Mai,
0: I don't know if it's that much bigger than Ubud. Um, so Chenggu is almost more like, even though it's not an island, it's just a beach town. It feels more like an island, like you it's know, like
1: two streets.
0: Yeah, know. and it's really small. Yeah, <laughs> but it's you know, I like it because there's a beach you can surf. But for most people that like Chiang Mai, they'll like Ubud better, uh, because it's just a little bit bigger. There's more stuff to do, slightly better infrastructure, slightly easier to get around, and you know, rent places and things like that. And it's and it's twenty five percent cheaper than Chenggu. In my experience.
1: Okay, yeah, I have not spent enough time there to to have a proper opinion on it because from from like my short-term stay, I like Changu better, but just because Ubud was super busy and like, but maybe I just should have gone like outside of the center a little bit and I would have seen more of it. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And
0: Changu is, is really laid back, cause it's a beach. Like we're like yeah. a block from the beach. There's like only like two sh- streets where all the restaurants <laughs> are. So you just kind of scoot over, you hang out. There's not that much going on. Yeah. Uh, I like it. I, li- I, I can I don't think I can live here for more than uh I would say two months at a time. I know there's people that live here permanently, so obviously some people mm-hmm. like it. But unless you are surfing, there's not really a reason to be here. Um, you know. And it's Indonesia itself is just such such a pain in the butt yeah. compared to Thailand. So
1: that's the other thing is that everything in thailand is just much more like convenient thailand is a far more developed country in in almost every single way um the roads here are a mess like i thought roads in thailand were a mess but they're not like i now like uh, even like vietnam was less of a Disaster to drive through than Indonesia. I mean, it's just yeah, it's I, I don't like going out of Changu's like one street because every time I have to, you just get stuck in traffic and it's a disaster. And the
0: um, and the reason why there's the traffic, it's not even that there's that many cars. It's that there is no city planning yeah, at all.
1: It's tiny roads,
0: like these roads yeah. can barely fit one car, but they are two way streets. Yeah, and cars would just get stuck in the middle, and then you're like, well, are you going to back up, or are you going to back up? And then yeah. there's like a million cars behind it, and bikes behind it, that just kind of, just get stuck. And people will literally get stuck for hours without being able to move. <laughs> yeah, And it's just from bad city planning, not having wide enough roads. Yeah. Um, and things like even getting a, a SIM card at the airport, or getting a taxi
1: at the airport, is such a pain in the ass compared to Thailand. Yeah, exactly, yeah. First of all, like, Taxis in Bang, like not in Chiang Mai, but in Bangkok are super convenient and fast. And like, as long as you don't get them in like Ceylon, they're generally willing to use the meter and just charge you a fair rate. Whereas here, like all the regular taxis will rip you off. Like, like there's no tomorrow. Like, yeah. they, like they'll least... charge like four to five times a, yeah. a, a normal rate for what they, for what they offer. And then like the, the Ubers and, and grabs and everything are, sort of like forbidden. I don't know if they're actually forbidden by law or it's just You're the taxi mafia that's is like trying to push them out. Yeah, yeah so um, there's signs everywhere that says there's no grabs and Ubers allowed and grabs and Ubers are not willing to pick you up in a lot of places because they're afraid of the taxi taxi mafia. So yeah, that's just super annoying. And what sucks about that the
0: most is if Uber was easy to get, even if it was a little bit more expensive, like, than it is now. Because right now, it's actually, it's super cheap. It's Yeah, it's right? cheap. Yeah, really um, cheap. But even if it was a little bit more expensive, but it was, like, guaranteed where somebody would come within five minutes or something. Just like any any normal city. Yeah, I would go everywhere with Uber. I would leave Chengu all the time yeah. to go have, go, go to a bar in Kuda, which is, like, you know, 40 minutes away. Or I would go to Seminyak, which is, like, the really nice, you know, kind of, you know, luxury beach town. That's really not that far. It's like twenty minutes away, yeah. uh, or I would go up to Ubud, which is an hour away, and just take an Uber just to go hang out for a few days, come back. But because it's such a pain in the ass to try to get an Uber, which most of them, you know, you you could try for like an hour, and then maybe someone will pick you up, and then you get might get lucky and maybe not. Yeah. Or you can know that you're getting ripped off by a taxi guy. That's you know basically extorting you because you have no other options. Yeah uh or you could just say, fuck it. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Or you, you, you brave the traffic on your own motorbike. That's yeah. what we've been doing. Um, for me, that's usually the alternative, yeah. uh, to that. Cause yeah, I like driving a motorbike, even though here it's much more of a pain in the ass than it is in Chiang Mai. Yeah. Cause that's one thing I love in Chiang Mai is like, if you have a motorbike in Chiang Mai and that's also like, you can easily buy one there and like, Cost barely anything, and like the whole city is like within thirty minutes of of anywhere. Like you can get anywhere, and like the places I visited most were like within fifteen minutes on a bike. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So if you guys go to Chiang Mai and you're gonna be there for more than a few months, buy a motor, buy a scooter. Uh, usually they sell for twelve 000 to fifteen thousand for a second hand, which is about. What, three, four hundred dollars, four hundred mm-hmm. bucks. I paid a lot more for mine, but, but you had a nicer one, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I generally, I think it's like, unless you don't have the cash to put in it, yeah. I think it's better to buy a, a newer one for like 25,000 baht-ish. Cause I, I sold mine for 2000 baht less than I bought it for seven months later. So. Okay compared to renting it's still super cheap but it's just a more reliable faster easier more to drive bike
0: yeah you're right i think the only reason why i don't spend the 7 or 800 on a on a bike uh is because first i i never register it i never like you know do de- i don't want to do de- i don't want to deal with the kind of the pain in the ass of doing everything like that so i'm like you know what if it's a 400 dollar bike with a dollar bike and it for some reason disappears or someone steals it or like whatever, we're like, oh, you know, fuck it. Just right. leave it, right? right. Um, and also, if you want, if you ever want to sell it, you can sell it like next day because there's always right. someone trying to find a cheap bike. But if you buy a nicer one, you enjoy it while you have it, but then it's more of a liability, uh, more of an upfront cost, and also when you go to sell it, in general, there's less people looking for that higher range of $800 plus.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, it takes, it, there's a little bit more work involved, but um, mon- like... Financially, it doesn't cost much more.
0: Yeah. Okay. That, that definitely makes sense. So what, what are your plans, uh, after, after Bali?
1: Um, so the 2nd of April. So first of all, like I said, Camille is coming on Monday. So we're going to spend a couple, like the last week that we have on Bali together. And then on the 2nd of April, we're flying to Kuala Lumpur, do a house sit there for two weeks. And then, um, we're flying to Holland, meet my parents um my parents have their 20 or uh, 40th anniversary on the 21st of april and then um we will stay in europe but we don't have any definitive plans yet on what and where to go Um uh, but we will stay in europe for the entire summer so until probably until the end of august maybe even later than that uh we will have my parents car to use so it'll be we'll be pretty free to go anywhere yeah yeah and summers in
0: europe are amazing right so yeah exactly yeah. So I, I think that I, I think I'm going to be back in Europe this summer. I'm not 100% sure yet. This is the first time where instead of being just completely independent, I've decided it's, it's better to have somebody to travel with, whether it's, a, you know, uh, a romantic partner or even just a, a best friend. Uh, so I've been traveling with Chris and I kind of left it up to him where our plan is to go to either Poland or Portugal this summer. But he's also talking about, you know, going to Colombia uh, or even maybe staying here longer. So we'll see, you know, where it takes us. But it's nice that we have these options.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And
0: it's almost funny that even though we are now in Bali, everyone that we hang out with is from Chiang Mai.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Yeah a lot of people here that we met in Chiang Mai or, yeah like yeah.
0: like literally the other people staying at my hotel Max who's been on the show and then Artesia who was part of Remote Year by I met her in Chiang Mai uh, and who else is here there's like just a t- Kristen Yates who's been on the podcast oh she's here too she's right. here like so yeah. many people are here yeah
1: and um, um, on Chris Quaspa when, when, when Camille is coming on Monday we'll meet her friend Nicole that you met as well yeah. from Brazil she's here too yeah. So, yeah. It feels
0: like this year's burning season, all of Chiang Mai, or at least our kind of circle of friends, has has come to to Bali. So, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of fun. And I wonder where we're all going to be next year cuz it yeah. seems it really seems like it's every year it's just, you know, people are like, "Oh, where's where's everyone else?" <laughs> <laughs> and it ends up happening. Do you remember what what your decision was to like how did you decide to come to Bali?
1: Um I'm almost 100% sure it was Camille's deci- decision because so I know my brother um, was involved in the decision because he was coming to Australia to do a working holiday visa for one year mm-hmm. so he said before coming from Holland to Australia he wanted to stop in Asia to visit me because it makes sense with like it's kind of in between um, so the plan was for the longest time for him to visit me in Thailand and we do like Thai islands together again but we already did that and then, um, I met Camille in November and then around December, we started making travel plans together for this year. And I think that's when we decided to do Bali instead of the Thai islands. And we asked my brother if he was cool with that and he was. So that's why we ended up meeting or, well, I ended up meeting him in, in Bali and the plan was for her as well. But unfortunately, that didn't work out. Well, she'll but, be here um, soon. Yeah. 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 But she didn't get to meet my brother oh, in yeah. the end because he left yesterday. Yeah. But we'll meet him in Australia probably after, um, after Europe. Okay. We have plans to maybe do like Asia and then Australia again. Yeah. You know, this, this, these travel plans of this life almost sounds like made up.
0: Like, have you ever kind of just like, I mean, did you ever imagine this? Like growing up as a kid in
1: Holland? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um. I know. Yeah. (laughs) And like, it almost feels so
0: normal for us now. We're like, oh yeah, listen to me. Oh yeah. Why don't we just meet him in Australia? Why don't we just meet him here? Yeah. It's, uh, I, 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 one of the big reasons why I like this podcast so much is I like to be able to share what is normal to us now. Yeah. With other people who want to make this leap and think it's either not possible or that it's, you know, it's overwhelmingly difficult. It really isn't that hard.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, Another thing I want to share is that actually all of this traveling this year is almost entirely due to me meeting Camille because I was in – so I was going to do that visa run to Laos and I was so fed up with it. Like I was not looking forward to that visa run. I hated having to do it. I didn't want – and and – um, I knew some of my friends in Chiang Mai who had decided to stay for a year on a education visa for self-defense classes. And I was on the verge of getting that visa, buying that visa, and staying in Chiang Mai or at least Thailand for the entire year this year. And then Camille was like, I don't want to do that. I want to travel. I want to go to Europe. I want to do this, that, that. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should like... Not become complacent again where I am and just like take a leap and go travel. So, yeah. (laughs) And thank you, Camille, for that.
0: Do you think that was a good decision?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: I actually feel very similar where I was so comfortable in Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai is such an amazing place. I think that's why we keep going back to it. But you are right. We get complacent there. Yeah. Where we just like, ah, life is easy. Everything's convenient. Not a lot of people. Food's good. Weather's good. And life just kind of, passes us by when we're there. It is a good place to start out. It's a good place to put your head down a bootstrap or start a business or, you know, to learn skills. Or yeah, Even if
1: you already have a business and you're just like, I need like two months of solid work right now, yeah. you go to Chiang Mai and do it there. Yeah, it's don't like do it in Canggu. It's easiest place to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I do like that. But I think when we are in a situation where we are, you know, our businesses are set up, we have money coming in, we have money... In savings, but also some passive income coming in. Then there's almost no reason just to sit around and do nothing there. We might as well travel and see the world because we can. Cause we, we have this luxury. We have this, we have the option. Yeah. I like it. So, Balka, thank you uh, so much for being on the show. Yeah, sure. Appreciate it. If people yeah. want to find you, how can they find you?
1: Um, I'm still on libertytotravel.com, although I don't really update it much anymore, but, uh, there's plenty of ways to find me there. Yeah.
0: Okay. I like it. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Um, I wanted to give a big shout out to this week's five-star review by Darta R from Lathia. I think it was our first review from Lathia. My buddy in the journey to financial independence, five stars. This podcast has been with me from the very beginning of my journey to financial freedom. It is a constant inspiration with variety of guests that have achieved their own freedom and share the journey In an environment where most of us are trying to break out of the 9 to 5 life alone on our journey it is crucial to constantly stay motivated thank you Johnny for providing this great content and companionship and inspiration uh, also a big thank you to Trip streak our sponsor uh, the next time you guys need to book a flight check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss I'll see all of you guys next week bye bye